Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. On this week's episode, Microsoft releases an emergency security update for Windows 10 and Windows 11 snipping tool. Microsoft also announces a preview of the new Teams app, and it appears there may be an end coming to the work from home era. For this and more, stay tuned to this episode of the podcast. And this podcast would not be possible without my sponsors, and that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage locked-in applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Following up from a major story on last week's episode of the podcast, Microsoft have released an emergency security update for the Windows 10 and Windows 11 snipping tool to fix the Acropolis privacy vulnerability. If you didn't listen to last week's episode of the podcast, and this is the first you're hearing about this vulnerability, essentially, uh, people who are using the snipping tool and they thought they were cropping out and redacting sensitive information in a screenshot, uh, well, (laughs) surprise, uh, it was possible to bring back that redacted information from that file. And after installing this security update, the Windows 11 snipping tool is reported to update to version 10.2008.3001.0. And for Windows 10, it will be 11.2302.20.0. And I did see a good question that was brought up in the patch management mail group, which I've shared previously on the podcast before as a scripts, tricks, and tips tip. But the point was, uh, well, you know, the snipping tool is part of the operating system, but how do you update it if you have the store disabled? Uh, Now, this was recorded on Monday and that question only just came in, so I'm not entirely sure what the answer is to that. And maybe I'll have that covered on next week's episode of the podcast if it comes to a conclusion. Microsoft's Intune Endpoint Privilege Management is now in preview. This allows organizations' users to run as a standard user without admin rights and complete tasks that require elevated privileges. Tasks that commonly require admin privileges are application installs like Microsoft 365 applications, updating device drivers, and running certain Windows diagnostics. Only devices with a hybrid Azure Active Directory join or Azure Active Directory join are supported, and Workplace join is not a supported trust type. During the public preview, EPM doesn't require acquiring or provisioning a license. Instead, you can activate EPM and validate the functionality. Once the product becomes generally available, your tenant must be licensed for endpoint privilege management, and the license will be available as part of the Intune suite or standalone license. 
So it looks like there's going to be an add-on for this and there's going to be a bit of an upcharge once it's in production state. And I saw some discussion on Twitter about the validity and usefulness of this product and actually just some of the pitfalls and dangers of relying on this too heavily. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. The day has finally arrived. The new Teams app is entering preview. You may see it as an option to enable the preview in your Teams already, but most likely not in an enterprise environment as there is an update policy that will likely block it. As covered on the podcast on multiple episodes in the past, this new Teams app would be a move away from Electron, and they claim that this new version will feature application install that's three times faster than the previous version. Uh, launching the application will be twice as fast. Joining meetings should be twice as fast. Uh, switching chats and channels will be up to 1.7 times faster. Uh, very exact. Um, it will consume up to 50% less memory, which makes sense because Electron apps are notorious uh, for memory utilization or high memory utilization. And it will also consume up to 70% less disk space. The landing page says the preview is only available for commercial customers. And they warn features such as third-party apps, line of business apps, advanced calling features such as call queues, and advanced meeting capabilities including breakout rooms have yet to be released. Interestingly, they have also announced that the package for this new Teams is an MSIX container, which likely accounts for why the install is so much faster. This is a great boost of confidence for MSIX, which has been a bit rocky with other Microsoft apps, namely Power Toys, being delivered as MSIX, and then later having an MSI version released later, which um, kind of cut the legs out from underneath it actually using MSIX and having that initial vote of confidence. I haven't got to try the preview yet because, as I said, I'm recording this on Monday night and it was just announced and it's not actually available in my Teams yet. But I'm really interested to see how well it works as other MSIX packaged applications have lacked integrations and features which could be important for the success of Teams. They do tout that MSIX will be a security benefit as its auto-update capabilities will be used to keep Teams up to date. They also stated other security benefits, which will also be a big plus for Teams customers, as I previously covered on the podcast that Teams today lacks true fully end-to-end -end encryption. So hopefully the move away from Electron uh, provides the ability to layer in better security for the product too. I'm excited to try it out. I think I still prefer to use Zoom just from a user experience perspective, but hey, maybe the user experience is much better in this version of Teams. Let's hope so. Microsoft Azure suffered another worldwide outage of sorts on Monday. Azure Active Directory users were experiencing issues loading the Azure Active Directory My Apps portal to view their cloud-based apps. And this affected other Azure services too, relying on Azure AD, like Power Apps, Pipelines, and more. There were people reporting that they couldn't see their app registrations during this outage either, which would affect a lot of other third-party applications that integrate with Azure AD. Unfortunately, I recorded this on Monday night Irish time, as I think I've said three times now. Uh, the Azure status page history is not showing an entry at this time. So I can't see what the resolution was, but it has been resolved at the time of this recording. And the line chart in downdetector.com suggests this outage went on for about three hours. 
There were many reports from ChatGPT users that questions entered by other users were appearing in their chat and other users' conversation history was appearing in other users' history as well. OpenAI said a Redis client open source library bug was behind an outage and data leak where users saw other users' personal information and chat queries. BleepyComputer.com reports OpenAI published a post-mortem report explaining that the bug caused the ChatGPT service to expose other users' chat queries and the personal information for approximately 1.2% of the ChatGPT Plus subscribers. The exposed information included subscriber names, email addresses, payment addresses, and the last four digits of their credit card number and expiration date. Uh-oh. I guess it could be worse, but still, that's not good, especially when it's specifically your subscribers. I guess that makes sense because those would be the people who have the credit card information, but uh, not a great look so early on. OpenAI says that the number of people whose data was exposed is likely to be very low as it required specific actions to take place, including open a subscription confirmation email on Monday, March 20th between 1 a.m. and 10 a.m. Pacific time. In chat GPT, click on my account, then manage my subscription between 1 a.m. and 10 a.m. Pacific time on Monday, March 20th. The company says that they are contacting all affected chat GPT users who had their payment information exposed. I like how they say that the number of those exposed is likely to be very low, but then they also give 1.2% of ChatGPT plus subscribers. So is it likely to be low or is it actually low? <laughs> I guess uh, we'll find out. Or we probably won't actually. So <laughs> it's easy enough to bury it when you're not a publicly traded company. Gordon Moore, the co-founder of Intel, has died age 94. In 1965, he famously stated his belief that thanks to technological improvements, the number of transistors on microchips had roughly doubled every year since integrated circuits were invented a few years earlier. His prediction that this would continue became known as Moore's Law, and it helped push chipmakers to target their research to make this come true. Moore dedicated his later life to philanthropy after starting a foundation with his wife Betty that focused on environmental causes known as the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation. Among those causes included protecting the Amazon River Basin and salmon streams in the US, Canada, and Russia. So rest in peace to a man who was obviously very influential in our industry. Microsoft recently rolled out Windows 11 Insider Build version 23419 to the dev channel. The build includes a new USB 4 page within the settings app and a new developer tool for collecting live kernel memory dumps and the ability to show seconds on the clock in the system tray, which is something that I'm surprised it's taken this long to actually come to the operating system. And that has been requested by many and Microsoft is testing the feature in response to the feedback with this version of the Insider Build. Wired.com had an interesting article about floppy disks continuing to be used in certain businesses, which is something I covered on last week's episode of the podcast too. And as I said last week, they're still used in aviation by some, for example. Well, this article also featured a rodeo who uses floppy disks for their embroidery machine. And they started with eight floppy disks when they got the machine, but are now down to only four working. And they are starting to get worried as floppy disks and floppy disk drives are becoming increasingly difficult and expensive to source. 
So that's another little facet to those who are still relying on floppy disks is even just the availability and the expense of the drives and the floppy disks themselves. It seems like anyone still using them really needs to come up with a plan to migrate off. Last year on the podcast, I covered the fact that Apple was requiring all corporate employees to work from the office on three selected days. This was after several delays to bringing the return to office policy into effect, as you may remember. I believe there was like some COVID spikes back in 2021, so they kind of kept pushing it out. But eventually they did bring it in around September of 2021, I believe. Um, the employees must be in the office on Tuesday, Thursday, and a third regular day selected by their team leaders. Well, Business Insider recently reported that Apple has threatened to take action against staff who aren't coming into the office at least three days a week. They reported that Apple is tracking employee attendance via badge records and will give employees escalating warnings if they don't come in at least three times per week. And at Apple, some organizations are saying failure to comply could result in termination, but that doesn't appear to be a company-wide policy. Tim Cook previously described remote work as the mother of all experiments. While he said it wasn't an inferior way of working, Apple has been more insistent than its peers about getting workers back into the office. And this comes at the time when Wall Street Journal is reporting some 72.5% of business establishments said their employees teleworked rarely or not at all last year, according to a Labor Department report that was released this week. That figure climbed from 60.1% in 2021, so a pretty significant rise, about 11% uh, since 2021 have returned to the office pretty much full-time. The survey showed about 21 million more workers on-site full-time in 2022 compared with the prior year. An establishment is defined as each business location, such as an individual restaurant in a chain, uh, for the purposes of the study. The new number is also close to the share of establishments, which was 76.7%, that said that they had no employees teleworking before the pandemic and that were open in February 2020, according to the Labor Department. So getting relatively close to where things were before the pandemic, which in my opinion is a shame to see. Um, but I think like I've kind of give, shared my opinion on this podcast before. You know, there are some very powerful vested interests with... Uh, some investments in business real estate and it is in their interest that people actually go back to the office and start using that real estate and support the businesses around those offices so it's just a shame to see and the way things are going it seems like more powers in the employer's hands again as the whole staffing crisis is starting to get is starting to be a little rectified or go the other way now with these large layoffs. The rich and powerful always win. Well, on that somber note, let's get to this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. It's going to be a little short this week just because, as I've already said multiple times, I'm recording on a Monday, so there hasn't been a whole lot that's 
uh, kind of popped up in my timeline that I've seen um, since I recorded the last episode a few days ago. Uh, but starting off, I saw a blog post on driver and firmware servicing uh, with the PowerShell module on EUC365.com. So an interesting way to do that programmatically using PowerShell. And also another PowerShell tip, uh, but you can use PowerShell on your stream deck and PowerShellisFun.com had a blog post on doing just that. So I know that the stream deck was getting a lot of uh, positive reviews uh, when the Teams plugin was released. And it seems like a lot of people in the industry have stream decks for their home offices. So this might be of interest to a lot of people out there. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. I am traveling this week, which is why this episode came out early. Uh, I hope to get back to service as usual next week and have a kind of mid-late week episode at least. And uh, just thank you all so much for listening. And anyone who's at the EUC Masters Retreat in Scottsdale, I'll see you there.